Welcome to Data Hurdles, a weekly podcast where we explore the impacts data and technology have on our day-to-day lives. My name is Michael Burke. And I'm Chris Detzel. All right. Welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. Michael Burke. How are you today? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you doing? Doing well. What are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about data quality. What is it? Why is it important? Uh, And how do we use it in our day-to-day lives? Um, So we're going to dive into a couple examples and and hopefully leave everybody on the call with a better understanding of data quality and why we need it. Great. Well, what is data quality and why do you think it's important? Yeah, so the common definition of data quality refers to typically like these bullet-pointed items, right? Accuracy, completeness, consistency of data. And while I think that formal definition is true, really what data quality is, and I think the reason it can be sometimes ambiguous, is that it's data that accurately and reliably fits the need that it's being used for, right? Mm. So in our space, in the master data management space, we talk a lot about data quality as as it relates to people, organizations, locations, right? Um, But, you know, depending on how you're using this information, quality can be completely different. And depending on the cost of having bad quality data, it can matter and be important, completely different, right? That scale of importance can change over time too. But, you know, ultimately, if you don't have high quality data, if you have poor quality data, it will typically lead to not serving its intended use case, which can lead to incorrect insights, bad decision-making, and ultimately, if you're a business, it could have significant financial or operational consequences. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and uh, what I want to do is kind of present kind of a real-life use case in uh, an industry, the pharmaceutical industry. A pharmaceutical companies conducting a clinical trial for a new medication. Clinical trials involves collecting data from multiple sources that includes patients, healthcare providers, and laboratories. If that data that's collected and like, you know, accurate is inaccurate or incomplete, it can have serious consequences for safety and efficacy of the medication being tested. So if you look at like a patient's medical history, if it's not accurately recorded, it could lead to like the patient being enrolled in the wrong trial or receiving the wrong dosage of medication or experiencing adverse effects that could have been, you know, prevented with better data quality management. So, you know, better data quality uh, is always a good thing. Yeah, I mean, so the pharma pharma companies are a really interesting example, Chris, because when you think of a pharma company or a healthcare company, right, you're talking about people. Yeah. And so the decisions being made with data are all around people, or things that serve people to improve their well-being, right? Yeah. So we can walk through a couple examples of that, but bad quality data ultimately is going to have an adverse effect down the line in one way or another on people, right? So that cost is way higher than, let's say, a marketing campaign where mm. maybe you just have a, a, a you know, misdirected spend, right? You, know, you could be killing people, right, at the, at the <laughs> extreme. I mean, yeah. it, it happens more 
you know, frequently, I don't want to say it's, it's very common because it isn't, but it does happen, right? That people make mistakes based on misinterpreting data, misinterpreting previous records of patients, you know, things get cross, you know, in a, in a master data management system could get joined incorrectly, right? Hmm. And all of a sudden you've got a doctor making a decision on how to prescribe somebody a medicine based off of, let's say, patient data that could not be that patient's, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Scary. No, that is very scary. Uh, so you mentioned some of the consequences of poor data quality. How, how does that impact some of the businesses? Right. So I think that if you are looking at a pharmaceutical company, right, you know, let's let's take a more realistic, you know, because there is a lot of controls on these things in, in hospitals and the healthcare organization have mm-hmm. spent billions of dollars to try to get this right and ensure the safety of of their patients. Right. Yeah. But ultimately, it doesn't have to be something as critical as, you know, somebody's medical history getting appended to the wrong person right? It can be something a lot smaller. Let's say it is sourcing of a specific component that is needed in the manufacturing of a medicine, right? And the location of that source is incorrect. Well, then all of a sudden, right, you're unable to order that ingredient that you need or that component and or that compound. And your supply chain is messed up. And your manufacturing of that drug is delayed, and that can adversely affect people's lives. There can be shortages. It can drive prices up. It can drive your revenue down. Um, you know, it can damage your customer experience and your customer satisfaction, and create all this complexity and work for your organization just because there was some bad data that wasn't monitored, that wasn't validated, that wasn't vetted, right? And so. When you think of poor quality data, and I think one of the hardest things that people struggle with is that a little change can lead to a big adverse effect over time. And many little changes can often lead to misdirection and a misaligned strategy across the organization. Yeah, it's, it's well put. What, what are some you know, main sources of poor data quality and how do you think they can be addressed? I mean, some of the most common things are you know, if you talk about how data is coming into a system, right? Who's entering it? What are the controls? Is there validation behind it, right? There, you know, data has to be inputted or collected in some way. And the more that you can uh, control and manage the quality of how that data is collected, the better, right? I think the easiest example is you've got a cashier at a POS system and every time somebody makes a sale, they're supposed to enter in their name, you know, and personal information so that Mm -hmm. they can link that to a transaction. But, you know, the cashier is not incentivized to enter that data correctly. They're incentivized to make as many sales as possible. And they don't know the, the cost of that bad data because they're a cashier, right? They have a focus that's, that's very short term. So they're entering in AAA or they're leaving the records blank and there's no controls on it. And then all of a sudden, the marketing team is trying to make these big decisions on where to spend their advertising revenue, their budget. And they can't because they don't have high quality data or they do. And they you know, send all of this advertising targeted towards 
people that don't exist because bad information was entered, right? So how do you set up those controls ahead of time so that during that collection process, there is a vetting of, hey, you know, is this a real name, right? Is this a validated, a valid address? Um, and how do you set something that incentivizes or penalizes the cashier so that they're entering in high quality data and doing that task appropriately? Yeah, in that example, I mean, it's a, it's a great example, but you also think of the kind of people that are cashiers, right? You know, they're probably making 10 bucks an hour and they're just checking out the person that, you know what I mean? They're just trying to hurry up to get to the next person or whatever, you know, do they, and they certainly aren't thinking about kind of the the data that they're putting in there. <laughs> I mean, and, and if you think about you a know. cashier, like I, I long time ago was a cashier and you are incentivized for how many sales if there's low sales, the first person they come to is, hey, what's going on, you know, is the cashier. Um, and, and so it is not in your, to any advantage of yours to be worrying about, oh, you know, there's a long line, but I need to get your complete address and name correctly. It's like, yeah. let's, get it, let's get it moving, you know? And I think that, you know, one of the ways that companies that really succeed at this, that they are successful is they analyze that, process, especially at scale, right? If you've got a million cashiers entering in, you know, thousands of records per day, yeah. how can you make that process simpler, easier, yeah. and, and reduce the workload on a cashier so that it's automated, right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And um, and how do you kind of look at those kind of metrics from data quality? How And how can they be used to measure and improve data quality? So I think that one of the things that is challenging to do, but is definitely the the best way, is at every step that data is touched, collected, or manipulated, yeah. that there is some sort of tracking element that can monitor and regulate um, change in that data over time, right? And the most common example we see in these retail businesses, right, is you know all of a sudden there's a spike of a thousand records that are AAAAA, you know, somebody just hammering down on one key or they're leaving it blank or uh -huh. they're typing in the same name, you know, Bob Dylan or whatever, you know, <laughs> every time. And we should be able to identify that over time and say, hey, not only do we see this really weird, you know, increase in Bob Dylan's in our POS system, mm. but we have the right track in place that we can actually identify what store it's coming from and what employee is entering that data in. And all of a sudden it's bam, let's correct the problem. There's an employee who's just entering the same data in and, and that needs to be remediated, right? Um, so I think that that kind of tracking and insights where you can drill down and assign ownership to the data yeah. is, is needed. Right to be able to have sure. high quality data and maintain it effectively. Yeah, it's it's a very good point. Um, how can organizations ensure that their data is you know both accurate and relevant? And what steps can they take to maintain data quality over time? Some of it you hit. Yeah. So what we're talking about of being able to like look at the ownership, look at how data changed. Part of that is monitoring quality, but also part of it is governance. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you're governing the capabilities and, and, you know, a lot of times when we think of governance, we think of like, oh, my data stored has the, these roles and permissions to do X, Y, and Z. Well, it's a lot more than that, actually. It's also like, who's touching the data? How is, 
that data changing as it set, as it moves from one point to another? Who has access to it? Who has control over it? And you know, just like any complex system, we we use and you know we won't go too deep into it, but we use the uh, waterworks right analogy in one of our previous talks of like everything is related oh, yeah. to a system. We're piping information from one point to another. Well. Think about if a utilities company had no control or ownership over each point that the water was flowing through, right? It would be complete mayhem. And the same thing holds true for data, right? You have to have people and policies and governance at each step of transformation, and you have to have ownership. I think that's one of the biggest pieces that we often forget is that somebody will go ahead and build something or do something in the digital space and launch it. And there is no ownership, no accountability, and no tracking, right? Yeah, or that person that... leaves and, and goes on to another organization, and then it is not reassigned to somebody new. That is huge and critical. And all of these components of documentation, ownership, simplification of your process build into this mechanism, which in a really complex space needs to be boiled down and transferable so that anybody can take on that responsibility and effectively manage that. It's a good point. Like if you really think of real life, you know, you, you go into a big company and you have people creating these really cool things, but there's no governance and there's no, you know, and, and they put it in place to, to, you know, maybe into their organization, but yet, you know, they leave and they're the only ones that know how to do it. And then all of a sudden something breaks, you know, you're in trouble. And and sometimes you wonder, you know, I've wondered this before, is I go into an organization and I think, man, they have all these things in place. You have to go do this before you can go do that, before you can go do this. But some of that is because, you know, so that things don't just break down. You know what I mean? And especially in bigger organizations, there's there's policies and, and governance and reasons why they do certain things, you know, uh, so that things like this don't break. I mean, it, it becomes a lot more clear to me. Um, no, does that make sense? Yeah, and and I think one of the challenges is is in the development space, it is common to have developers that are touching lots of different points, and they're yeah. building extensions, small extensions onto code in different areas without governance. And I, I, if you take it back to that water analogy, imagine if there was a plumber who just said, you know what? In my home residence water tap, I'm just going to add another place where I add chemicals to clean the water, right? And, and that was happening all across your city. It would just be mayhem, right? There'd be no governance and control and, and like it would be chaos. And yeah. water would be over polluted with chemicals and you probably have health issues and all these other things. Well, the same thing happens in the development space, right? Mm-hmm. A developer will come in and say, I'm going to build something that fixes this problem. And without zooming out to that 10,000 foot space, and, you know, I don't want to, this isn't really a, a podcast on development processes, but I think That's that an example. when we talk about governance, it is making sure that we don't have these compounded issues arise from a million paper cuts, right? Yeah. No, that's a good point. How, how can data quality be improved through cleansing, standardization, and enrichment? What's the thinking around that? Right. So we're collecting data that maybe was absorbed through a limited scope. And if we go back to that retail problem, right? Mm -hmm. 
we've collected maybe a name and an address and like a membership ID, right? Yeah. About a customer. And maybe we have some transactional data that was the last, you know, X number of purchases they've made. Well, that tells us some information that we can make a decision off of like, okay, well, this person comes in and they buy these types of things and this is where they live, right? But if we were to cleanse that data, which I think we've already covered, which is making sure it's high quality, yeah. right? And cleaning it. And you can do things like address validations as an example, mm-hmm. you know, translations of information if you're working in multiple countries. But I think the enrichment piece is something that we could probably do a whole podcast on on itself. But imagine that we have this simple data about transactions and a little bit of information about a person. Well, I can take that information and go find third-party data that tells me so much more about that person that I can make better and more informed decisions on how to market to them in the future or how to communicate with them in the future. Like, what if I knew that not only did they live in this certain geographic area from their address, but their house was also worth $5 million, right? And they had a net income of you know $1.2 million. A lot better. Oh, that means they have more opportunity to buy things. So should I spend more money targeting that person? That's to be determined. Like you need to know more about the context, but that kind of information changes how you think about that person, right? Yeah. And how you market to them. Is so, that where some of that third-party data comes in, you know, exactly. like, as an enrichment exactly. and things like that? Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, another great example would be, well, what if it's not just one person? What if it's a business, right? How do we link a person to a business? Well, if we had third-party data that told us that that person worked at a certain organization yep. and they weren't buying a product for themselves, they were actually buying it from a Staples or a business center, Right that also changes the context of how we yeah. market communicate to them. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what are some best practices for managing data quality and how can they be applied in different industries and contexts? Yeah, so we talked about governance, right? Yeah. We've talked a little bit about identifying data quality metrics. And I think that I'm gonna harp on this one for a little bit, metrics, it's really important not just to have metrics. I think everybody says, okay, mm-hmm. we got to track stuff and they create some metrics, right? Yeah. But what are those metrics actually monitoring and how are they helping you derive value from the information you need? And how are they helping you prevent bad data? So what I like to do when I'm designing metrics is start from what is that data being used for? What is the job that that data is serving? And, and try not to stick to like these general things of, oh, well, you know, the data is just going to be used by the rest of the business. How is it going to be used? You know, if it's used in a marketing campaign, what is their threshold for bad data, right? If it's yeah. used for a healthcare provider, well, what is the cost of that, right? If we mess up on a medical history, in the medical history of a person. And based on that cost and understanding of why and how they're using the data, and how much accuracy matters, you then go back and you define, okay, well, how many controls do I need? How tightly do I really need to monitor this? How many people do I need to involve to help validate that this process and this information is correct on a reoccurring basis? Do I have to manually validate every record? Do I need to set up a system that validates for the fat fingering AAA in a name field? 
Do I need to create a control? Right. So there isn't a silver bullet, one size fits all answer for this, right? It really is going back to understanding what is the cost of that bad data and building your governance and your monitoring strategies around that. I think another piece to that is when you're building metrics, I think everything that you said is highly important, but I also think it's, you know, building it to where your stakeholder understand, you know, you build it towards their needs. So when you tell that story of, you know, if it's um, the the back to the grocery store and you go back to your marketing team, say, hey, look, you know, we're trying to to uh, get information from our customers and what's happening at the store is this thing over here. So we need to build this, that, or the other. And especially if you're trying to get, you know, dollars to to build those dashboards and and things like that, you you have to be able to communicate it to the right stakeholders to to continue to go further also within the organization. So if it's a big organization, if you're talking to your marketing team, your marketing team has different problems than, you know, uh, another part of the the uh, organization, right? You know, you're not going to speak marketing talk. So those metrics need to also be in, in a way that they, the, your stakeholders understand them. To me, that's been very important in my life in general or my online community business, you know, the people I talk to is is the key at the end of the day. I don't know if what you think about that, but I know it's not very technical, but. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, working in a, a black box of looking at data and, and trying to analyze things without talking to people is yeah. always a problem, right? It's you a no know? brainer, but I see metrics all the time, Michael, that are just, you know, like, I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, that's almost like giving a construction worker a tape measure and saying you can't communicate with anybody else on the job site. You just can measure, right? <laughs> exactly. Like how successful are they going to be at building a house? Yeah. Um, but we do so, it all the time. I'm on meetings all the time and they're saying yeah. all these things. Look, this, the metrics that I have, I have tons of metrics, but I build dashboards for the audience that I'm talking to. If I'm talking to the product team, it's different than the marketing team. It's different from the customer success team. And those things. So I do think there's some importance to, you know, your audience and and what your metrics look like. I'm not saying you shouldn't have all those metrics in the world, but you don't need to tell everybody about it. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yep. it's a no brainer. I know, but people do it all the time, you know, um, especially, you know, a lot of folks in IT, you know? Um, uh-huh. So how can emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence and machine learning be used to improve data quality, which I'm very eager to hear about this one. Uh, so I think that this is, you know, there's so much hype around machine learning right now and so much, especially with these language models, ChatGPT, and there's some incredible Bart. things being done. Bart, yeah. But you have to remember that at the end of the day, machine learning is a tool trained with math, right? Mm. And so when you think about these emerging technologies like AI and how they can be used to improve data quality, you still have to go through the same process of thinking and communicating with your stakeholders, understanding the cost of data. But sometimes there can be really applicable use cases that can help um, improve the quality of data by identifying patterns and trends that a human just couldn't do on their own. And a good example, if we go back to that POS system, you know, mm-hmm. point of sale, the cash register, cashier problem. Well, imagine if you have 10,000 cashiers entering in data, 
right? And you say, okay, well, I don't want them to leave the field blank. So I'm going to create something that says they must enter in a name that is more than five characters, uh, you know, no numbers or something like that. And so then the cashier who's just going to take the path of least resistance just starts typing in, you know, I don't know, Bob Dylan, right? Or whatever the name five is. That's, right. <laughs> well, you know, one cashier out of, if you have five cashiers, that's a pretty easy problem to monitor. But if you have 10,000 or 50,000 cashiers, all of a sudden the complexity of that problem goes up. It would probably be hard to search to find an anomaly of, you know, 50 Bob Dylans in this space right and you're going you're not going to be going to every you know store and monitoring the metrics of that store so what can you you do you can utilize machine learning to find those patterns and anomalies at scale mm -hmm. right and what what a machine learning model might do is say okay well we're going to look at this at the cashier level and we're going to look at the variance of names inputted across all 10,000 cashiers and there will be a number, which is an expected median of the variance in names that are inputted into their POS system per day. And if there is one customer that is entering just Bob Dylan, well, all of a sudden they're going to rise up as mm. this anomaly that is significantly different than the average cashier. And that gives the data steward the signal to say, okay, even though this might not be a massive problem, there's definitely something off here. Yeah. And they can dig in and understand that trend. That's how machine learning can be used. It can be used in these types of ways to find patterns and create automation to remediate patterns like that. Yeah, that was good. Um, and really, just one last question. Uh, what are some of the ethical considerations around data quality? And how can organizations ensure that they're using data in a responsible and ethical way? Right. So, I mean, when we talk about the business and, and all these examples that we've talked about, whether it's healthcare or retail, they're driven by profit. They're driven by, um, you know, improving the activation and quality of their products and their business. And we're now at a point in society where companies can collect and purchase sizable amounts of third-party data. And I think that if we go back right. to this example of what is the difference between quality and privacy? Well, if I can purchase everything, all the information in the world about you, should I purchase all that information to make an informed business decision? And what are the implications of that, right? If I start collecting too much data about you as a person, am I going to lose your trust as an individual if all of a sudden I'm sending you information about a predicted breakup, right? That I think you're going to have with your girlfriend. Like that's scary as a customer. Yeah. And even if that's accurate, do I really want to know that? You know, and, and I think that <laughs> as a society, we are starting to draw these lines, but it's a very difficult space to understand, you know, what is, to, is doing too much with information, you know? Mm. Um, did, a, did a customer or a patient really consent to that? right? Is there transparency in how you're making decisions? Are you working really in the best interest of the end user? Um, and, you know, I in this space, you hear all sorts of opinions on this. You hear people that say, you know, if there isn't a law on it, exploit it to the max. And that's one strategy that many people take. I am a firm believer that we need to, as 
data scientists and people who are empowered to make these decisions act with as, as responsible stewards of information and respect people's privacy as much as possible. And I think that, you know, we're fortunate enough to work at an organization that also believes that, that, you know, data is trust at the end yeah. of the day. And if you're not acting with transparency and authenticity, you are not only doing a discredit to your customers, but eventually you're going to lose in this game. You might be able to get short-term wins by doing taking these strategies that exploit certain pieces of data or buying information that you probably shouldn't be using on a customer without their consent. But eventually this is going to catch up, right? And I yeah. think that what is going to differentiate you know, customers, and you're already seeing this, right? Some people do not trust some large organizations with their data. Some organizations that we work with will not put their data in specific clouds because they don't trust them. And when you talk about trust, I think that is the longest term signal of success, right? If you don't have trust, you don't have authenticity, you eventually are going to lose that user base, right? And you have to weigh as an individual and as an organization, how important is that to you? Yeah, man, that was... That was excellent. I love how you closed that out. Um, <laughs> that's something to, to think about because, you know, like I think us as users really just sometimes just trust too much. We're just like, okay, accept, accept, accept. And we don't really look at, you know, the T's and C's and the repercussions of what giving all of our data means to somebody, to, to an organization, because they can use it for a lot of different things. And, you know, our organizations, do they really care about what you think at the end of the day or what you feel or whatever? As long as they get that acceptance, some some organizations will take advantage of that. So you have to really think about that. So it's really good, good advice. Um, yeah. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. I mean, I'm excited about this. I would say if anybody who's listening to this has questions, you know, please reach out to either Chris or me on LinkedIn or through our emails, right? This is a complex and evolving space and, um, you know, guiding these types of decisions with is difficult, right? And yeah. it isn't something that's black and white. So I think that, you know, we should start a dialogue on this and I'm happy to respond to any questions that people have about good decisions versus bad or advice on that. It's a challenging space and uh, it's an exciting space too, right? We're also growing and evolving faster than we ever have before. So. We are, and uh, we'll probably have more um, podcasts specifically on that, but please make sure you rate and review us. It's so important that uh, uh, we get your feedback so that we can make this podcast better. Uh, and thank you for listening and tuning in. I'm Chris Detzel on Data Hurdles, and I'm Michael Burke. Thank you for joining. Thanks, Michael.